All right, here we are. Another riveting edition of Lawyer Talk off the record on the air. It is September 22 already. Um, you know what that means for uh, all the youngsters out there and the college folks. They're going back to school, and we're going to get to why that's relevant in a second. But uh, we will, as almost every Wednesday, actually the last two we haven't, but uh, this Wednesday we're going to interface with the Blitz, uh, Loper and Randy over there at 99.7, uh, where I have been providing uh, answers to legal questions uh, for, I don't know, the better part of 10 years. At the table is uh, some of the normal crew and then a guest. We got uh, Norm, who's uh, becoming a regular, uh, and Brett, who's becoming a regular from Turkle's, Turkle Circle. Turkle. Tur- yeah. <laughs> Circle. I like that. 270 Media. <laughs> it's Turkle Circle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the ex-checker, he's checking X's somewhere else, Jay Simons. Uh, Jared... Uh, we're still praying for him. He's in the hospital, uh, recovering. Uh, he is now what, uh, 17 days in, 18 days in, something like that, uh, from his motorcycle accident. And uh, we're all, uh, we've all uh, watched that very carefully here. Uh, but you know, as the old saying goes, the show must go on, and and we're going to carry it on. That's what he would want. And uh, ironically, in his chair as we start school, we have back in the studio Leslie Albright. I got it right that time, yeah, Leslie Albright. Local attorney, uh, you sent me a great text over the weekend, by the way. Um, and I, I could, I could read. At first, I read it. I was like, "This is awesome." And then I sent that. Uh, I shared that with Norm, uh, and he said, "Yeah, at least we're putting people to sleep." <laughs> hey, no, he woke up once he realized what it was. <laughs> right. The, the the text. It, it, the, so, what's the story there? So, somebody had a, a suggested podcast. Well, I I went to Chicago to visit a friend, um, and he said, "Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you, I was on the airplane a couple weeks ago, and I was cruising through podcasts, and I picked one that sounded interesting and to fall asleep to, and then I heard your voice on it. <laughs> so he did wake up and listen to it." Right. So I, I, I don't, I, I'm very curious to know, maybe Brett could shed some light on that. How would our podcast be suggested to, is he an attorney? No, he, he's from Columbus, but he's lived in Chicago for probably five, six years. Unbelievable. Yeah. In the attorney world? No. Wow. How did he find it then? That's interesting. It, it just were that popular, you know, it's worldwide. It has to be by the, the algorithm is on our side that right. day. I mean, it really yeah. though, he was, it, it was just a suggestion that popped up wow, for him. That's great. A total fluke. We'll take yeah. it. Um, anyway, we should back up again. Why don't you uh, share with us your credentials, your law firm? I mean, your law firm's doing great things, by the way, in Columbus. I mean, it's like one of those booming, growing areas, but uh, tell us what it's all about. Thanks. Um, we have a student rights law firm called Albite Weicker LLP in Columbus. Uh, we practice obviously statewide, but we are located in Columbus. We just opened an office in Cincinnati as well. Um, and we practice student rights law from K through 12 um, and into college, into graduate school and beyond. So we handle special education matters, uh, code of conduct defense, Title IX issues, um, school discipline, suspensions, expulsions, pretty much anything you'd come across as a student. So when I was in seventh grade in Mr. Tuttle's science class and I got caught cheating and he whacked me on the backside. <laughs> and th- that was back in the days when there was no, I mean, we weren't talking powder puffs. I mean, we were talking a full on board whacked With hard. holes <laughs> drilled in the board Some of the, for aerodynamics <laughs> oh and yeah. welts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Some teachers yeah. did it that way. They used to brag, like they would hang as, as like uh, uh-huh. executioner's tools in the corner exactly. behind their desk or everybody knew when it was coming out. And then we had a small school. So it was like one of those old fashioned middle schools that it, when somebody got whacked, it, it resonated like the inside of a guitar. Oh 
throughout the hallways. And you could hear it upstairs like, I wonder who that was, who got whacked. No, they were um, saying it's Steve again. <laughs> it only took once. Um, and it, it, you know, I acted like it didn't hurt, but it hurt. I mean, it hurt. It hurt. I had bruises on my backside for, for days. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually they got smart with that. Some parents complained because of the bruising. So then they would get their routers out and bevel the paddle so it wouldn't leave the bruising. <laughs> they could still whack you hard without leaving bruising. Oh it's sort of like getting hit with a phone book at, by the police. Um, but I tell you what, it was effective. You know, you learned your lesson. Right. You know, there was uh, there was no question about what you weren't allowed to do. But anyway, uh, that, that, why am I talking about my stories? I don't know. Uh, so it seems like every day I get a call. Uh either from a professional, uh, somebody who wants to be a client, somebody who's looking for legal advice, or even good friends whose kids are in college or going back to college, and it's the same. What do I do if my son or daughter isn't vaccinated? Or, or Some people just don't want to say whether they've been vaccinated or not for whatever reason. I don't know what the reason would be. but uh, And the answer I always give is, I have no idea, but I know somebody who might be able to help you. And, uh, and recently, a good friend of mine I, I hooked you up with, and uh, he had the same question. So I imagine it's funny because COVID killed a lot of businesses, uh, slowed down a lot of businesses, but yours probably was booming a little bit during COVID. Yeah, it was interesting. We definitely slowed down um, at the beginning because no one was in school. No one knew what to do. It was kind of parental paralysis, I think. Um, We were all just trying to survive. And then, yeah, it started, you know, ticking up with the unknowns and the questions of what if and what's it going to look like. Um, And so we've been really busy last year. In, co- in the college world, you know, the hot topic was mass gatherings, um, kids getting together in large groups. This year, it's definitely been the vaccine mandate. So everybody going back to school, it seems, I saw there was a, there's been litigation I've, I've s- sort of followed. I saw one case that came out of the University of Indiana. Yep. Um, and I actually was a little bit shocked. I didn't think that they had a mandate that, uh, that said, Everybody had to have a vaccine, or I think that's what it was. Right. And, and somebody challenged that. And I thought I thought that would go in the direction of the students challenging it, not the school, but it didn't go that way. Well, I think originally the students brought it, um, and then the university kind of took hold of it. So, I, yeah, I, it was, I think, eight students. I think some of them were qualified for exemptions from the mandate, so some of them didn't have standing anyway. Um, but I mean, I think that's been the pattern in higher ed in general is, you know, you, you have a choice of what college you want to attend. Um, and so we can get into later on, I kind of have a theory of, uh, like a breach of contract theory that somebody could take on, Ooh, um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they put out, a you know, a, a communication earlier in the summer that said, we will, you know, absolutely not require this. And then they change the game you know, as soon as they get everybody's tuition and say, okay, now we are requiring it. I think that begs the question, you know, the issue, if if you look at it from a breach of contract, I think a lot of private universities um, in Ohio were coming out, you know, at the, at the beginning of the summer and the middle of the summer saying, no, we're changing our stance and we are going to require it for the fall. So we kind of had a test, bunch of test cases in the summer with the private universities. And then now obviously the public universities have all announced now that there's FDA approval of one of them. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So <laughs> it, it, as far as breach of contract, the argument, we can, and maybe we should, I don't know if we should start there or not, but uh, it, you have a, you agreed to let me into your school. I paid you money or agreed to pay you money at a certain rate. And uh, here's what the rules of conduct were when we had that, when we had that, when we entered into that bargain. 
Well, and, and I think to add to that, sorry to interrupt, but to add to that is some students relied on that yes. to say, okay, you came out and said you were not going to require it. I don't want to get it. And now I'm going to choose, you know, say they were accepted to 10 different schools. Now they're going to choose your school because you put out, you actually, now some schools were silent about it, which was a smart thing to do. They weren't going to promise anything. Yep. Um, but some schools actually came out and said, no, we're not going to do this. Um, and then, you know, mid-July retracted that and said, now we have to. All right. Let's, let's give one of my sideways footnotes in because right below breach of K or contract, I wrote detrimental reliance and you know, there's two concepts people ask me all the time. Well, if we don't have a valid contract, then do we have some other cause of action? And the answer is yes, because if you relied on somebody's promise to your own detriment, in other words, like you just said, hey, we're not going to enforce masks or we're not going to make you get vaccinated or we're not going to, you know, you can wear whatever you want to school or you can, you can. Uh, well, it can even go into ACT and SAT tests yeah. that, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing that aside for now, but then all of a sudden you say, nope, we're going to look at those for real. Yes. That's a different story because you didn't prep to take those right. tests. Sure. You didn't, you know, you just relied on, okay, it's a decent score, but I know it's a holistic look, but now all of a sudden they're bringing it in. To me, that's not fair yeah. either. Yeah. You know, and hopefully it doesn't go there, but I, I could see it going in that direction yeah. too. Yeah. So there's really two claims. Lots of things going on here. There's really two yeah. claims. And boy, somebody called me with a small claims question. Uh, she, she bought a horse or something. I don't know. It was some crazy question. It was like a law school question. <laughs> and I gave her this talk. I was like, you know, Sounds like a joke. Starting she said, this, this contract wasn't in writing. And he said, we didn't have an agreement. And I said, ah, but you relied on this as you bought the horse for this guy and gave it to him. Now he's been unjustly enriched with this horse. And he can't just even get to keep the horse or the value of the horse. He has to, you, you, you deserve to get compensated for that. And it's different than a contract. That is, uh, that's an equity, and we could talk for hours about that. But you're talking like what what you're saying is, I decided I'm going to go to say the College of Worcester. I'm just picking that because that's where I went um, because they said no masks. Now I could have gone to Wittenberg, or I could have gone to Denison, or Oberlin, or any other school in the NCAC. Uh, but I chose Worcester for that reason, and now it's too late for me to go anywhere else. Is that sort of the argument? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's too late. Yeah. To, to go anywhere else. Um, I think though that, you know, you'd really have to show that, that whatever was put out there by the university was really strong in their stance. Cause I know a lot of it has been wishy-washy or they've been posting it on social media and people screenshotted that and said, well, here was the, you know, the communication from the university that I relied on. So, you know, long story short, I mean, I haven't had the case to, to take that on and, I mean, really, that's never my goal as an attorney. I know that sounds weird. I don't like to sue people. Um, but my goal is to get the student in somewhere um, and to graduate on time. So that, you know, really, we've been we've been sh kind of shuffling students around, you know. So, OK, can you get in here? Can you go there at the last minute? Can you, you know, apply for this exemption? So a lot of what we've been doing is, you know, the exemptions, which is a different conversation. But. Now, that's awesome because what you just said there, that's how I like to practice law. I, when people come in and sit in my office, I, li I say, listen, I have, unfortunately, a unique approach at this. I want to solve people's problems. I don't just want to go pound the table and follow the law books. People come into our offices with problems. And, you know, they sometimes they come in with all sorts of their own research or whatever. And I, I just look at them. It's like, all right. And I can just see you doing this. Like, all right, you can't go to this school maybe we can get you in somewhere else or maybe we can solve your problem this way. Now we could go through two years of litigation and lose <laughs> or win or whatever it is. But in the meantime, 
you know, you're uh, doing home study guides because you're not in any college. What do we do about it? Is that sort of the philosophy you guys look at? Because I, I think that's awesome. Oh, for sure. And <clears throat> a lot of our students have said, yes, I do have this other option. It's not as great as what, you know, where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do, but it's a Band-Aid for now. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, this is changing week by week, too. So it, yeah. it could be different next semester. It could be different next year. Um, or it could be worse. You know, they could have less choices next year. Yeah, sure. And Norm's over there thinking, uh, as a former law student, he's thinking, all right, do I have a duty to mitigate if I have a breach of contract problem? And what he's really thinking is, all right, so <laughs> I could sue these people for damages, but if I didn't try to get in somewhere else and try to try to lessen my damages, then uh, then maybe I, I, I can't collect on that, or maybe it might reduce the amount or what my remedy would be. Uh, so you guys are sort of solving all those problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, I again, I we've we've just it's been so fact intensive of where, you know, based on the student's individual situation. I've even been actually this is kind of unfortunate. I've been on consults with a parent and a student. The parent is talking to me about getting an exemption and where their student's going to go because they don't want to get vaccinated. And I had the student say, you know, I just have to stop this. I already got my first dose. So it's it's also this like crazy divide between parents and, um, you know, their kids going off to college. So it, it's just so fact intensive that we just really haven't had that one, you know, individual case where I think it's a, a good idea to, to press that and, and walk down to the courthouse. It looks like the Blitz is ready to go. We're going to interface right now and we will get back to our discussion with uh, Leslie Albite right after. And on with us right now, our buddy, uh, my lawyer, can be yours, Steve Palmer. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, we wanted to ask you a couple of questions. I know uh, right off the bat, Kelly had a question about the Gabby Petito case here. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this, Steve. And that is um, everybody, including myself, are really infuriated with Brian Laundrie's parents who seem to have just clammed up and really uh, sort of protected their son and, of course, allowed him to leave and never be seen again. So my question is, can they be charged with it, anything eventually, like obstruction or if it's found that Brian had something to do mm. with Gabby's murder? Uh, you, the answer is maybe. There, it is a crime if you harbor, a, if you help a felon uh, evade uh, capture or later on cover it up, you can get in your own sort of trouble. So you might, uh, I had a case one time where my client's parents threw away the knife that was used to kill somebody. My client was acquitted of murder uh, because it was self-defense. His father was convicted of tampering with evidence and went to prison. Oh, whoa. Uh, no, come on. Wow. Yeah. And what's interesting here is that, it, it, but let me give you the other side of this. All we know is that they have not talked to the media. Um, we don't know what they've said or done with respect to local law enforcement or the FBI or anyone else. And, um, and I don't, if you guys know differently, I haven't read where they have actually refused to cooperate with FBI or police. Uh, it says he just refuses to answer questions about uh, his missing son. He, he actually came out of the house today. They have him breaking cover, they're saying, you know, um, but he is not answering the questions. Well, he's not answering the media question. So what we don't know is what they are telling the police and whether they've assisted the police and, and given them information. And then let's say that he did destroy the murder weapon. Uh, and he's thinking, oh, crap, I probably shouldn't have done that. Now he's got a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. 
And um, I would, if I were advising him, I would tell him to assert that Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Yeah, I think can, it's a rock. They, I think it's a rock and you can throw it in the stream and you'll never know. They lawyered right. up instantly. Instantly. As soon as this kid came home without Gabby. Like, I think he might have had a lawyer before anybody even knew she was missing. <laughs> Well, so, <laughs> I mean, if they see again, these are terms that like the media throws this stuff around. It gets sort of frustrating because the media is saying they lawyered up. Well, did they hire a lawyer for their son, which would be a perfectly appropriate thing to do if he's being uh, even uh, if they're even considering him as a suspect uh, or did they hire attorneys for themselves or both? And if I were in their shoes, I would I would do both. I would hire an attorney. Uh, for the family, and I would hire a separate criminal defense attorney, probably somebody up at Yavich and Palmer, 614 <laughs> to represent the son. But uh, no, I would hire I would hire a lawyer for both. And in, in their shoes, I would not be on my front porch or stoop uh, giving statements to the media because really nothing's to be gained by that. And their own, uh, you think the media is going to be really nice to them at this point and, and ask them uh, friendly questions? Of course not. They're going to go after them and probe them like the media should. And um, I would tell them, look, no comment. Uh, we'll give a comment or make a statement when it's appropriate, and that will be that. Um, so I guess it's always uh, it always depends on what's really going on. And if they are really helping their son hide, that's a big problem for them. If they have helped their son cover this up, that's a bigger problem for them. Um, but if they're just trying to protect their family uh, from all the chaos, then you know you sort of got to respect that too. So I guess as I would a defense attorney. Do you want to know if your client is guilty or do you want to stage a defense based on their, I mean, obviously they have a right to an attorney and you want to stage your defense based on that right rather than whether they're innocent or guilty? Well, both, you, um, okay. you know, factual guilt is, I, I don't want to call it irrelevant, but it isn't the only question. So the real question in a criminal case is, can the prosecutor prove it beyond a reasonable doubt? Do they have evidence? And if they don't have evidence, then uh, we have to be cautious how we proceed. And let's just say in this case, they don't have evidence. They have a hunch. They have a suspicion. And it's probably a very strong one. And it very well may be the correct one that this kid committed the crime, that he whacked her on the head and threw the rock in the river, whatever it would be. Um, but they can't prove it. There's one person that could assist in that significantly, and that is the kid himself. He could actually confess and give them their case. And as a defense lawyer, I would say, don't do that. Keep your mouth shut. We don't know what they know. We don't know what they don't know. We only know that you're a target and we do not have any obligation to provide a statement against you or any kind of statement, whether it helps or, or hurts. And that is what makes our system unique. And fortunately, knock on wood, we still have that right. Um, now, as far as actual innocence, it's better if I know, because sooner or later, it seems the truth tends to come out. So those out there that think I can just fool my lawyer um, into thinking I'm innocent. Well, first, I probably already have figured it out. Secondly, what you're doing is depriving me of very significant facts and details that I need to know as I walk into a courtroom and stand in front of a jury and advocate for you. And if you've deprived me of those things, I get to go home, kiss my kids, kiss my wife, and fall asleep or, or try to fall asleep because I'm so stressed about this trial. Uh, but if you're the one that gets to go to prison and in a murder case for the rest of your life. So it's better that I know uh, almost always. In fact, always. All right, let's go to line one real quick. We have uh, Tom Jones standing by here. Tom? Yeah, uh, I got a friend of mine that borrowed my pickup, and he got arrested for receiving stolen pickup. He bought a car, and now they impounded the, my pickup, 
the trailer and the car. How do I get my pickup back? All right. So wait a minute. So is your pickup that was stolen? No, no. He borrowed my pickup and he pulled his trailer and he bought a car that I, I'm assuming was stolen. So he got arrested for receiving stolen property. Now, how do I go about getting my pickup? So I, I think I understand this. I think he was just, he happened to be driving your pickup truck at the time he was caught and they've impounded the pickup as a result of that. Yeah, because he was towing the car that uh, that he let, that yeah. he bought that he yeah, didn't know that true. was allegedly stolen. And then when the police right. pulled him over with the car on the on the trailer, he was like, "Hey, man, that car's stolen. We got to take you to jail." So they impound- impounded both vehicles or all three, uh, depending on how you. Yeah, all, all three of them. Yeah. So here's the deal: if you don't, if you had nothing to do with this, you you're just an unwitting uh, friend who let somebody borrow your your truck, then you can just call the police and say, look, you guys have my truck. Can I get this back and see what they say? And if they say no, or if they say we need to talk to the prosecutor, if they uh, have a, if they give you the runaround, uh, press them a little bit and say, what's the procedure? What do I need to do? How do I get my car or my pickup back? And you can probably hack through it. Um, It it may or may not be evidence in the case. I have no idea. Uh, But right now, because he got arrested, because he was um, in possession of the stolen car, they just impounded everything. They probably don't care or even know that it's yours or haven't reached out. But uh, sooner or later, they will. Or you could uh, you could get in front of that problem, call up the police department and say, look, I'm the registered owner. Here's the deal. Now, if you want my help doing it or you want to get an attorney doing it or you think you need some legal advice on that, then uh, give us a shout. 614-224-6142. All right, Tom. Okay. Now, a- am I responsible for paying all the impound fees and all that? Uh, the answer is no, but it may be the path of least resistance to get it out. Okay. Okay. Wow. All righty. I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Now, I know that uh, you know the Constitution pretty well, Steve Palmer. Uh, how does this all play out at the border, at our southern border in Texas? I mean, we're seeing people, uh, you know, the media has has put up some images that were pretty shocking, I think, to most where they were claiming that people were getting whipped. And then it turned out to just be uh, rains, uh, rains on, on, a, on a horse saddle. Obviously, uh, you know, everyone's on the edge of their seat with uh, every little detail that happens. And, you know, people are worried that live in Texas. Like, how, how do you think this plays out? Uh, this is chaos. And how does it play out? Well, I mean, here's the problem from the constitutional standpoint there, we can even back up. There is a law. We have an immigration law that would cover this and, uh, the law is getting violated day in and day out. They're just letting people cross the border or maybe not violated, but not enforced is probably the better way to put it. And then the question is, what is the executive power to deal with this, to not follow the law, to implement different, uh, regulations or standards and then how does that fit in constitutionally and here's where we get into this gray this is what people call the deep state this gray area of administrative law that the executive branch of government has control over at least uh, that's how it looks and uh, the extent of that power and you know there, there's been different uh, iterations of this, like every president, not every, but the last few anyway, have come in and said, well, look, I, I don't have the presidential authority to do this. And then two years later, they do it anyway, or they let people in or don't let people in, or they relocate people, whatever the situation would be. I think what's going to happen, so I'm giving you a big I don't know yet, but what's going to happen is uh, everybody 
on uh, on this is so far out over their skis at this point that the U.S. Supreme Court will eventually have to get involved and pronounce what's going to happen and how it's going to work. And if you just turn back the clock all the way to like 1954, maybe there's a case called Youngstown Sheet and Tube where uh, I think it was uh, that Truman got into this a little bit. Uh, after the war about uh, what the executive administrative power is and how the delegation from Congress works, et cetera. So I think we're going to see a pronouncement on these executive orders and the executive power to either uh, control things like the border through the regulatory agencies or not control things. And uh, then the other issue is going to be if, if the executive of the United States government isn't doing anything, now we have Texas doing it themselves. And, yes. you know, constitutionally, that's a that's a federal power. Uh, it, it's in. It, I don't know how that's all going to unfold. I mean, this is a mess. And uh, when you don't, I guess this is the slippery slope that we get on when you don't follow the rules and you just try to do things by executive order. Eventually, it gets so chaotic that nobody knows how to solve it. And and I right. think that's sort of where we are. So we have, uh, I guess, a Texas governor approved mile-long steel barrier of police vehicles de- to deter more than 8,000 migrants. In Did Delaware. you see that, like where they all lined up? That was pretty cool. They said if they're not going to help us, uh, there's no law against Texas helping ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, that's what, and what's the United, like, what's the federal government going to do about that? Are they going to send down people to stop Texas from protecting the border? I mean, think about that. It, and it, it's it's absurd. It's chaotic. And I really don't know how it's going to shake out. And, you know, maybe one of the things that bugged me the most about it is somebody was out there with a drone taking pictures of this or videoing it. And then the next day, then the the federal uh, aviation FAA says, no, you can't fly. It's a no fly zone. So you can't take pictures anymore. Uh, it just is. It The whole thing stinks on all sides of this. And it needs Man, to be Man, that is, wow, how shady is That's that? That's very shady. That is super shady. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the whole thing uh, in, in the midst of all of this, we can't travel to Europe. Europe, Europeans can't travel here yet. And we're accepting people from Afghanistan. Uh, now, what looks to be a large number of, of Haitian refugees. And you know what's really sad about these people is they've been, we were talking about this yesterday. The, the, the thing that breaks my heart is these Haitian refugees have been on the road, on the move for, for the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it started, they left uh, during the earthquake. They picked up jobs in Brazil and, and put down roots for a little while and did the whole Olympics and people were working and in construction and whatever else uh, they could do in Brazil. And when the Olympics were over, they started to travel north. Yeah. And, you know, th- there's a, it's a really fascinating, for lack of a better way to put it, moral uh, discussion to have about what's the obligation? What are what are other people's obligations in the world to give them safe harbor, give them a place to, to be? And, and, you know, contrary maybe to what a lot of people think, the United States has always been at the forefront of that. That's what built our country. And there is a way to get in lawfully. And there's it seems like it's easier anymore, though, to get in unlawfully. So why not do it the quick and easy way? And I think that's what most people think. And I wonder what would happen if we actually – put some control on it or put some control back on it and uh, and just created a better and more efficient process to vet these folks because you just can't tell me that all the people that are trying to come in are good people and aren't terrorists and aren't criminals and aren't looking to just uh, infiltrate and do whatever they want. And you can't tell me on the other side that they're all criminals and there aren't good people there. They're yeah, both. Exactly. And we need a vetting process to deal with that and, and to take an extreme on both sides is uh, is seemingly what we're doing. And uh, I think the better approach would be to, let's see what the law says, read it. I mean, who's read the Immigration Act? 
recently and then right. see what it is and start enforcing it and, and create a regulatory scheme to deal with that. But that's, you know, if, if uh, Biden and company or whoever wants any advice, just have them call lawyer talk. <laughs> so uh, we gave the story last hour of uh, this guy in Colorado. He was he's a construction worker who's uh, well, I guess he's a contractor. He's in business for himself. And he took this job. Randy has uh, more of the details on the money aspect of it, though. Uh, so she basically paid half and she needed to pay the other half, but she wanted to see the work. She wanted to turn on the water and make sure that it was all working properly. Before he redid she, her bathroom for her before she paid the rest. Yeah. So like she was not, she's like a, a single mother, not able to get home to check the job yet. So within 23 hours, 23 of hours, the work being completed, he comes back to the house, gains access. It goes in with a sledgehammer and destroys everything that he did in the bathroom. And like the neighbor caught it all on video, like taped him and like, was like, Hey, stop. And he's like, this is what happens when you don't pay. The guy, the guy, the guy was way too much. Yeah. I just wonder in a, so he was claiming our question really is he was claiming that since he put it in the house, it was his property. Like where does that end and, and begin uh, when it comes to the truth? Well, I did see that video. For, uh, obvi- oh, you did? Okay, okay. I watched it last night. I don't even know how it showed up on my Facebook feed or something. Uh, so he's not allowed to do that. That's self-help. Um, he's got he's a remedy. Do that. <laughs> um, he's got a remedy at law. He can go to court and he can sue for damages. And it's just like, uh, it's a basic contract. They, they hired him to complete work. Uh, he should be paid for the work he completed. And if the work was not done in a workmanlike manner or up to reasonable standards, then there'll be an offset or some uh, reasonable remedy that can be had through the court system. And usually that translates to dollars and cents. It does not translates, translate to trespass and sledgehammers, which it seems like what this guy did. So he went in and employed a bunch of self-help and said, I'm just going to take this stuff back. And, you know, if he would have, there are different things that contractors can do. And one of the, one of the most basic tenets of law now that uh, contractors have at their disposal is a lien, is a mechanics lien. And a lot of times if you hire a contractor, they're going to put a lien on your property until the, the, the bill is paid. And th- that means they can secure it and, and get paid later. Uh, going in and, and smashing stuff up is hardly a way that it, let's just say this if you want to get some uh, help from the court system and have the court uh, award you damages because the uh, homeowners didn't pay and let's say that uh, a little bit of equity is involved that's not clean hands you, you don't you don't come in with a video on facebook that's gone viral <laughs> and uh of you being a jackass smashing up tile that white tile with a sledgehammer and i can't say the work was done right maybe it wasn't maybe he maybe he was in the wrong on how he did the work but right then he blew it by trying to destroy it all now, whose property is it at that point? And does he see jail time? Well, there's, there's two separate. So the first question is whose property is it? Well, he's installed in the homeowner's house and uh, they're in possession of it. And I suppose to that extent, it's theirs. He's got a claim against it because uh, he hasn't been paid for it. So I don't know if he had had a lien or didn't have a lien, but uh, that's what the courts need to decide is, is how's that work? So it, it's it's uh, it maybe it's it's not so clean or easy as say a auto repossession where they send out the repo guy to grab your car. Uh, it's a little bit more complex than that. Now, as far as going to jail, so there's two things can be true here. He could collect um, on his contract because they, he performed the work and they didn't pay. Uh, he could also go to jail for committing trespass and criminal damaging and uh, maybe even burglary, frankly, because he entered a house while it was occupied and committed misdemeanors. Uh, so he's got like, he just made a little 
money problem, <laughs> a, a major headache, and potentially a criminal problem. What a moron. Yeah. Honestly, what a moron. Hey, Steve Palmer, one of the smartest guys that I know on the other side of the, th- <laughs> of the tracks. Uh, this guy will get you out of uh, anything or or at least go down trying. And uh, it's been proven many times. So they can get in touch with you, Steve, uh, by calling you. They can listen to your podcast and they can also reach it via theblitz.com. Yeah, real easy. 614-224-6142. Put it in your phone. Check us out on uh, the podcast, lawyertalkpodcast.com. Always love having you on, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. That was the Blitz interface. Uh, great, great questions today. I, I would love to sit here and, uh, and hash those out, but we got better or bigger and better I want better to hear Tom to Jones sing. Yeah, Tom Jones. I, I was really thinking, did. Yeah. I'm thinking, dang, we got Tom <laughs> Jones on the podcast. That's cool. <laughs> what an awesome performer he was. She's got style. She's <laughs> got grace. I mean, really, he gets, he gets, a, he gets a bad rap. <laughs> he does, actually. In, yeah. an, an unfairly bad rap. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was just saying, we, it, let's he get has, back to Leslie. He has done rap, by the way. Has he really? Yeah. So when you say he gets a bad rap, he, he's, he's done uh, joint you know, musical efforts with rap stars. That's pretty amazing. It is amazing, right? Yeah. So has Pat Boone, by the way, which is wild. He did a whole album. It makes me think of uh, like think of the people who did that. Um, remember Aerosmith sort of broke through and uh, yeah. and they were almost done, like almost like I don't remember the group they were with, but it Run was DMC. Walk, it was Walk This Way, right? Yeah, wasn't it Run DMC? Is that it? Yeah, I don't remember. And they did Walk This Way, and yeah. the video, the music video, had them on like one side of a wall, and then Run DMC on the other side of the wall, and then they smashed through. And it was deeply cool. Yeah, it was, it was good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. I used to listen to that in college. See what I did there? What? Yeah, right nice. back, right back. So we were going to get to uh, the nuts and bolts. I think is what I was doing with Leslie Albright, and we were uh, we were talking before the Blitz. I don't want to say rudely. They were. It was a planned interruption. Um, but uh, we were talking before the Blitz about uh, some of the issues that folks are facing going back to college uh, with COVID restrictions. And uh, Leslie, you, you used a word a few times, like you're helping people figure out the exemptions. And so if I'm sitting and I'm a parent and I got a kid and for whatever reason, I don't want to get the shot, what are the exemptions that uh, people are looking at? Well, it's school specific, but generally speaking, it's a medical exemption for medical reasons, um, and then a religious exemption. And some schools have added on a like personal exemption or moral exemption. And boy, that's uh, medical, religious, moral, or personal. It's like you couldn't get any broader than that. Well, and the hard part is you don't have, you know, we're used to as attorneys kind of looking at the language and looking at what's the standard, what are they looking for, what are the rules, you know, of, of what we need to hit, what's the threshold, and there's none. What are <laughs> Ex- you- Well, medical, there, a lot of schools have really defined what they're looking for in the medical exemption, but for personal or ethical or moral, we have no idea. Who knows? Well, let's yeah. start with the easy one then, medical. What are, what are we looking for? Do I have to have a doctor's note? Yes, most schools. Well, most schools are requiring uh, records, a doctor to sign off on either their form or you know a, a doctor's own form. Um, they are looking for, for example, I think Ohio State has put in that if you've had an allergic reaction to another vaccine, um, if you are immunocompromised, um, those are the two that are standing out for me right now. You know, I, I've had cases at different schools. Ohio State, we haven't heard back from. As we, I have no 
like pulse on what they're granting and what they aren't because we just have not gotten any back with a response yet. But at least for the private schools, it really seemed like campus based and kind of, you know, we we would have uh, students in northern Ohio getting exemptions for things that I would consider less <laughs> than maybe students, you know, in the central Ohio area. So it's really just based on their campus. I mean, that's my personal opinion, but um, and what that culture and campus life is like. Leslie, can I jump in? Yeah. Uh, so this is Norm. Um, I wanted to ask about the uh, medical, possible medical uh, exemption for young women. Um, obviously, you're talking college age. Um, a significant number of those young women might be thinking about um, fertility issues. Yep, I've had, we have filed some exemptions where we've cited that um, and we've pointed to literature. You know, I show that my client's very well-versed and they're researching. And and some of that argument boils down to, you know, they just don't want to get the vaccine right now um, until they know more about it or it's been, you know, out there for a while, more studies are being done. So, you know, I even have students who are like, hey, I may change my mind in a year or two or three, but right now this is, you know, my view and this is pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. How is that being effective or it's still pending? It's still pending. Oh, so the, the ones that I have helped with, you know, again, people don't always seek an attorney to do this, but the ones that I've helped with. So my kind of universe, um, we have not heard back on the on the students who have cited those reasons. Okay. Uh, what about young men? Now, this might be boys. So I'm, you know, medically, I'm not up to speed on uh, what age this affects, but there is supposed to be um, mm -hmm. some potential cardio damage yep. for young men or boys. Has that also been used possibly? Um, yes. So I've had some, again, that I have not heard back on okay. um, that have cited that concern. Really, the ones that I've heard back on are from the private schools who, you know, instituted this mandate over the summer. Um, and then we were kind of fighting about it, you know, in the August and early September uh, months. But those cases that we fought about were really based on religious exemptions or a personal conscious exemption. Oh, it's evolving. Yeah. Like so the right medical, I, and then here's the other thing that not to like throw even more gas on this fire, but I've had students who have, who have retained me where, They've been granted an exemption, and then something else happens. Either they're getting um, discriminated against in a way that where they can't continue on with their classes or their labs or something like that, or they have you know not fallen fo followed policy for um, exempted students, and now they're getting kicked out of campus. So we've so we, they're putting they're, they're snowballing. They're, <laughs> we'll let you in with this exemption, but you have to get tested every single day, yeah. five times a day. They make it impossible. Well, I wouldn't say impossible because really they're doing pretty much the same thing they were last year for all students because um, we didn't have the, you know, the, the mandatory vaccine. Um, so they're, you know, like weekly testing or they have to wear masks indoors where unvaccinated or where vaccinated students don't have to. Um, but some of that's kind of moot right now because like at Ohio State, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, you have to wear a mask inside. So those rules are really applying to everybody. Well, and then, but maybe not the testing. Although I, I, I'm not positive on that. Is are you running into? And this is what uh, I have buddies that on both sides of this debate, and everybody's everybody says it's lost. It's you no, know, it's such a, it's so corrupt. And and I always tell them, you know, the the legal system is a wonderful thing because once you start having 
uh, once people step up, ask for an exemption, and are denied, say in a state university, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden it exposes the whole thing to litigation. And by that I mean discovery and uh, people get under oath. It's like you can't just you can't rely on rhetoric at that point. You, the, like the schools and the students are going to have to come forward and uh, and actually uh, find evidence, uh, discover evidence, and present it uh, presumably in a courtroom. And that is where I would think, if I'm in your shoes, I'd be thinking, I would love to start subpoenaing and getting public records from like the CDC and from uh, the say the state government who's uh, implementing policy and what are they relying on and is it reasonable and rational and are they just following the the political nod and going where the wind's blowing? I mean, what's your thought on that? Um, I could find you some plaintiffs if you want to <laughs> take that on. But um, you know, one thing that's come up that's interesting to me is who are who is looking at these exemptions and who is making the decision. So for a medical, it's usually like the campus clinic or whatever they have, the student wellness center. Um, But just tracking and knowing where your exemption request is going, who's looking at it. But I think that actually could be, um, you could get those documents or things or correspondence before you even get to litigation by requesting the student's own educational file. So as part of that, you could you know, usually you can get emails, anything that has to do with the student oh, okay. um, as part of their educational record. So you don't need a subpoena or anything for that. Um, I have a couple cases right now, though, where I've sent out the student's, you know, educational records request um, and I haven't gotten anything back or I've gotten some things back and not others. And so it's just it's the wild, wild west. It is. And I can just see that's what you like. You, you send out, you send out my medical exemption and it goes to like in at the college of Worcester, they called it Hygieia, like the health. You can just yeah. see some administrator saying, yeah, I don't think so. Right. I want to know the criteria of, okay, does it check this box, this box, right. this, this box? And, right. and then I can, I know what, what I can say in these or what, you know, is going to work and what's not. Now, I can base it based on experience, you know, of what I've known from exemptions that have been granted or denied based on other schools. But Ohio State's deadline for the exemption request was actually Friday of last week. Wow. Um, And that's pretty early. I haven't seen that like at UC or OU or anything. Mm. Um, But I don't know. I haven't heard back on those. So I I can't tell Ohio State students this is going to work. This isn't. Yeah. Um, And same thing for, you know, Ohio University. I don't know yet because we just haven't heard back well bless bless you and steve for being willing to swim around in the murk so <laughs> now you all that's know, a good description yeah. swimming you all, around in the murk. well now you all know why i'm not a practicating lawyer because uh, uh I, I have more of an engineering mind so like when leslie was just saying check the boxes see that's what i always wanted in the law was i, I love black letter law so what what i like is just very clear crisp Check the boxes. You know, you have this. Judge by this standard. Yes, no. You fulfill that. You know, like like you uh, like you measure how much liquid is in a test tube, or or, or you know, or, or whatever you do scientifically. So, one of the exemptions, if I may, Steve, jump in here on uh, on the exemptions was uh, that Leslie mentioned was religious, and I heard yesterday of a law student. Um, who is suing his university, I believe, New England Law Boston. Um, And then there's another case involving some undergraduates at UMass. Go figure, it's on the East Coast. But uh, three girls, honor students, expelled over off-campus non-masking in May of this year. And then in June, 
uh, to get to my religious point, this young man kicked out of or being sued because he's being uh, threatened to be expelled from his law school for um, mask uh, social distancing, but the big one's a vax. And he said that he has a uh, a religious um, um, disagreement with doing that. And we we know you know Jehovah Witnesses on blood transfusions and things like that. Christian scientists, I think, have a tradition. Christian of, scientists. Yeah. So those, what you're talking about with Jehovah's Witnesses, are that's a doctrinal statement against yes. vaccination. So that right. is, I would right. say, that that's like a box checker right, right. there. If you can show that right. you're part of that congregation or whatever they, right. they call it. I've just become a Jehovah's Witness. I was going to say, what a recruiting <laughs> well, tool. Wow. Well, that's, that's if I can get to that. So what they said in this news item yesterday was that this young that they rejected this young man's religious claim because they whoever like Leslie just said who's checking this at the universities somebody at that university decided that he his religious objection was not sincerely held sincerely held yeah. so that's the the buzzword there well what that you know can't well, I develop a religious belief like now I mean, I can change my gender in some states. A born again is that's the definition, isn't it? Well, at a moment's well, even, time, you're basically born again. Well, I sure. mean, but in in California schools, Gavin Newsom's policy, I can decide that I'm okay. a man, woman, boy, girl, day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. Right. right. Well, why can't I decide that yeah. I'm a? Gotcha. Well, yeah. This I mean, is well, what's, and that's what's been sincere. The, what's not that's, sincere? That's right. been debated right. before this COVID vaccine situation in the employment context, which I will not say that I'm. You know, sure. any no, we're not going there today. There, yeah. but yeah. Um, so, like the sincerely held belief, you know that we have case law on that. I mean, it is fact intensive, I believe. Um, but for example, I mean, if you're looking at a sincerely held belief that you just, you know demonstrated that you started this religion yesterday or something like that, then that probably questions the sincerely held or, but if you can show, you know, Oh no, I really did join this religion. I'm now going to this church or, and I'm, I'm doing that, you know, actively show all of that in your exemption form. Then I think you got a good argument. Well, doesn't that sincerely held go kind of go back to the draft? Well, yeah, Muhammad it, Ali. Sure. And th- this this came up back in those days, the conscientious sure. objectors, yeah. and uh, there's a there's a body of Supreme Court law. Now that's going to apply only when the I imagine Leslie only when we're dealing with a public university, right? Uh, more so than a, a private university's private, decision. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, but it, it, I, there is a body of law there, and how that gets applied in this situation, will I think it's it may very well change the body of law. I think it might. Well, the other interesting thing that I thought of when you were talking. Um, is, you know, I don't want to say, oh, these students are just constantly like getting screwed over and all of these things because, you know, if schools are clearly communicating their expectations and policies such as mask wearing or something, you know, this isn't compulsory education K through 12 where you have to go to school. We're talking about essentially a business, especially when you're talking about a private university. I mean, you are a consumer of education. They are providing you that education. You can choose to go somewhere else. Yeah, here's the problem, though. Um, and this is where I, I, I think the more the government gets involved in tinkers, then you run into some of these problems because the government uh, has 